Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public. I'm Catherine Shen. Governor Ned Lamont's second term in office has begun with promises for meaningful tax cuts and efforts to support Connecticut children. Today, we're catching up with the governor himself. He joins us for an in-depth conversation on the 2023 legislative session and what's happening around our state. What are your questions for Governor Lamont? We want to give you the opportunity to ask your state's top official your questions. And we're also in the studio, which means our conversation isn't limited to our live radio stream. You can also watch online on Connecticut Public's website, Facebook page, or on YouTube. Or give us a call at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Governor, welcome back to where we live, and it's nice to finally meet and see you in person. Okay, welcome to uh, where we live. It's good to meet you. Yeah, I don't know, right back at you. We kind of joked around earlier. I used to lurk around his press events as a reporter, so it's nice to actually speak with you with conversation in this different capacity. But kind of want to start um, on a somber note today, Governor. We're speaking to you off the heels of another mass shooting in Nashville. Three children and three staff members have died. So I want to ask you about gun control in our state. You know, our reporter, Matt Dwyer, reported just this month that your most recent proposal on gun control calls for several reforms, including limiting the sale of handgun purchases to one per month and requiring that people have to be 21 years old when they make these purchases. Um, But based on an NPR reporting, we learned earlier that the shooter in Nashville was 28 years old and she also obtained two of the assault rifles legally or two of the weapons actually um, legally. So from this latest event, do you think your proposal is going far enough to prevent the next mass shooting? What are your thoughts about that? What the heck is going on? <laughs> I don't remember this uh, growing up, these type of shootings in schools, targeting the most vulnerable, targeting nine-year-olds that we had Sandy Hook. We've been front and center here. We put in place here in Connecticut, got some of the most uh, uh, ambitious reforms, trying to limit access to guns, particularly access to those illegal guns that are the cause of such mayhem. Uh, And we've got to keep going. I want Connecticut to continue to be a leader here. So you're right. We've got some uh, gun safety laws on the books. I hope that the uh, legislature takes it seriously. You know, in particular, it's these ghost guns, these illegal plastic guns. You can turn into a machine gun. They deliver, you know, by mail. It's tough to keep out. We can stop it if we see you packing one of these things in a public place. Well, I mean, so unfortunately, we just witnessed another one, right, just yesterday, and we're having this conversation today. Does that change anything? Do you have more specific um, proposals that you would like to move forward, perhaps the ones that are already in, you know, in your policy, but just to... You know, Pass the bills we've got in place. Help us out. We're putting in place um, more resources for safety, security in our schools, 
you know, it's up to each school how much they want to take advantage of this, but, um, you know, probably want to limit the entrance and egress to one or two spots in the school just so you have a little more control over who's in there. And this is your second term as governor. Do you have any top priorities for this legislative session? We got some pretty good momentum going on. I mean, remember four years ago, we had $2 billion deficits as far as the eye can see, and people were leaving the state, and last one out, turn out the lights. We're in a very different place four years ago, and I want to keep up this uh, really positive momentum. That means, A, um, uh, keep balancing our budget in an honest way, B, a real tax cut for middle-class folks, make life a little more affordable. As you pointed out, keep investing in our future. That's our kids. Well, speaking of investment, Governor, you were here about six months ago talking about affordable housing, which is a hot topic, and it seems like it's continuing to be hotter. And we've seen a massive drop in new housing being built here in Connecticut. And I think the latest numbers we've seen, we have a shortage of about 85,000 affordable housing units, as well as uh, being the the lowest rental vacancy rates in the country. Are there other incentives that you can give towns to build more affordable housing? Well, look, over the last 30 years, we didn't have much population growth, and we did, were very slow in getting new housing. I would say in the last um, year or so, that's picked up. A lot of people want to move to this state. We had 50,000 new residents over the last few years. We did have more new housing startups, not just uh, uh, market-rate housing, but also affordable housing. I want to build on that. We've got um, an additional $200 million for workforce housing. I want places where young people can live, hopefully next to um, public transportation, bring our towns and cities to life, and let employers know, hey, I can expand. I want to hire more people, and there's a place for them to live. Well, and you mentioned it's it's a bit of a slow process. You know, we're see, we are seeing cities like Bridgeport and Stanford, they're picking up the pace, but obviously not fast enough for the high demand. And we do have a state housing law um, that allows land developers to essentially take municipalities to court if they reject proposals with affordable housing units if the areas have less than 10%. So do you think that is enough to incentivize while recognizing that it's, it is a slow process, but is there more you can do as governor to sort of push that or incentives? More? I've got, like I said, significant new resources out there. I want towns to come forward. If you want to take advantage of this, we'll give preference to denser housing, you know, next to the rail station or the bus depot. I, I think this is a time people want to move into your town, give them that opportunity. I tell some of those uh, suburban towns, uh, not here or not now, you want a place for your kids to live and you want a place for your parents to be able to stay in town. Well, we're going to take a quick call from Nate, who has a question on housing. Nate, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Go for it, Nate. Okay, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, I have like three questions, which are basically one big question. Um, one, uh, Governor, do you believe that housing is a basic human right? Two, do you believe that citizens of Connecticut have a right to live in Connecticut? And three, do you believe that every person has the right to live in any town in Connecticut, no matter their income level? Thank you. Go for it. Well, first of all, um, you got to have a roof over your head. I think that is um, uh, is a human right. And I take that seriously as a um, governor, and I know we take that seriously as a country. We can always do better. You can push back and say, um, you know, who should subsidize it? What's the best way to get more housing? Uh, I do believe, Nate, that um, 
more supply is part of the answer. People just have more options. If there's more housing out there, be it workforce housing, affordable housing, market rate housing, that additional supply will make the cost more affordable for everybody. And yes, I want them here in the state of Connecticut. Um, I, I want people to be able to move here and I want people to be able to stay here. And there are too many people who are priced out of the market, too many seniors who can't afford their uh, bigger house, they're downsizing, there's no place to go. There are too many young people that say, look, I don't need um, an acre of land and three bedrooms. I just want a studio in downtown Hartford so I can get started. We've got to make sure there's housing for them. Well, and speaking of affordability, you know, Connecticut will not vote on a rent cap this session. But is that something that you would like to see in our state? And if so, you know, what would that look like, you think? Look, we got the uh, rent commissions out there, so I, I can't have people being evicted when they're making a very good faith effort to be able to stay where they are. Uh, you know, rent cap cuts both ways, Kat. I'll tell you, I'm trying to get more developers to build more rental housing here in the state. So if I say, uh, but you can't, you know, you can't have more than this uh, amount of rent, um, we'll discourage them and they'll go to other places. So I got to get the right balance, allow you to stay in your rental apartment, not get evicted, but also build more housing. When I want to make a quick transition to transportation, which is another hot topic for obvious reasons. You spoke about this, too, six months ago when you were here. But you know, we did witness the unfortunate death of State Representative Quentin Williams. And many have been asking and are continuing to ask, what can we do to continue to provide or start providing safer roads? You know, what will your administration do to address these very ongoing problems? Yeah, Q is a friend to a lot of us, and um, I still see his smile every day. And uh, he got hit by a wrong-way driver. And there's been more extreme driving during and post-COVID than we've ever seen in this um, state ever. And I can't mandate common sense. I can pass laws that tell you don't drink and drive. Uh, but I need you to talk to your friends, make sure they do the right thing. I got to make sure you exercise the very uh, you know, best self-control you can. I can tell you, you know, we're putting up flashers and saying this is driving the wrong way. And that's part of the solution. But the be best of the solution is coming from you. So we can have these conversations with our friends and families and, you know, maybe two strangers on the street. But, you know, as governor, is there something you can do to address the structural issues, the infrastructure issues for pedestrian safety? Because that's another issue that we're seeing with rising numbers. And I think just last year, we got 75 pedestrians who died being struck by vehicles, which is a 50% increase in five years. You know, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a pretty high number. Is there something you can do, governor, with that? Yeah, stop staring at Google Maps and your phone when you're driving. Um, we're doing everything we can, Kat, to make our cities and towns more walkable. That means uh, bicycle paths as well as walkability uh, to make uh, that easier as well. You know, back to the highway, we're an old state, so we have a lot of exits and egresses, and it's complicated and cars going in and out. That's part of the danger as well. We're trying, you know, Garrett Ucolito, our head of transportation, is doing a big effort to see where are those most dangerous intersections. Let's target them. You want to take another call from Carolyn, who has a question on busing. Carolyn, are you there? I am. I wanted to ask the governor why we couldn't continue the free busing those people that ride the buses are so poor if only people in cars that 
don't ride a bus could could ride a bus once in a while and see that these people are are really the people that need the need it the most uh, hey carol i'm with you 100 percent. we're the first state to provide the free bus service we did it um you know as part of covid originally so you didn't have to hand cash and things back and forth and it made life a lot more affordable for that single mom who had to go buy some groceries and save some money. So the feds, the Federal Department of Transportation comes to us, and this is a little odd to me, but they said you can't provide free bus service until you do an equity study. It's been the end of a year, so we're going to do that quote-unquote equity study, and then maybe it's something we can revisit, but I wasn't allowed by federal law to continue it. I wish I could. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for that call. And to continue on the safety track, we also want to talk about trans rights. So here in Connecticut, we have a safe harbor law that includes protect includes protection for trans people where we live. But given the spate of anti-trans legislation nationwide, are there other policies or, or plans that you would like to do more? Yeah, I want you to know that this is um, a state where we respect your opportunity to be who you are and who you want to be. And that's true, uh, everything from trans to um, immigration um, across the board. Uh, I don't like what I see coming out of a lot of these other states right now. They're vilifying people. They're demonizing people. I think it's not American. It's not going to happen in Connecticut. And we're also seeing a lot of that in our schools, whether it's it's between uh, families and students or in the education itself. So we're also seeing a lot of parents coming into their school district demanding that they have more influence in the curriculum. So, you know, from where you're standing, who do you think should determine what is being taught in Connecticut schools? Uh, teachers working closely with parents, but um, unlike Florida, I don't want some bureaucrat in Tallahassee telling the local school board in uh, Hartford how to teach things. Uh, teachers ought to be able to teach. Give them the freedom to teach. If parents uh, want to weigh in, we have a school board. We have parent-teacher meetings. We urge you to get involved. I want parents more involved than ever before. When teachers or parents are like this, working together, um, education is at its best, and it's the best for the kids. Well, and speaking of teachers and 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 uh, families getting together on a related topic, there's also a growing need for childcare, and this is—I don't think we're strangers to that. It's a pre-pandemic problem, but certainly exacerbated by the pandemic. And so, we need more early childcare in order to attract families to come to the state and also to support families who are uh, supporting young children. So. Could you tell us about your executive order to develop a strategic plan for, I think, a, a longer-term future for, for child care? Yeah, really key question. Um, every teacher I talk to says, I can tell a kid that comes from a really good um, you know, early child care facility before coming to our school, they're ready to go, ready to learn. Mom and dad have a hard time getting back to work unless they have affordable daycare. Beth Bai, Office of Early Childhood, has done a great job for us. We have the biggest expansion of daycare and child care, trying to uh, you know, reimburse better, trying to make sure the caregivers earn a little bit more. <clears throat> but your bigger point, okay, what happens next? Because um, the federal money is not here forever. Um, so I'm trying to put together a task force made up of all the stakeholders, parents, daycare, corporate. Uh, I really want to get the corporate more involved. I'm giving them an incentive. I said, build child care right at your facility. Subsidize that, and the state will be there alongside of you. We want to take another moment to take a call from Louise on health care. Louise, are you there? 
Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, so my question is, uh, so the majority of city voters support expanding health care to all immigrants, regardless of immigration status, including 84 percent of Democrats. Now, 58 percent of undocumented city residents are uninsured. So expansion of coverage will reduce health disparities and will lower, lower spending on emergency Medicare and uncompensated care costs for hospitals. So, Governor Lamont, uh, will you support allocating $15 million in the budget, which represents 1% of the total Medicaid budget, to cover undocumented people who are income uh, eligible under 26 years of age? So, first of all, Louise, thank you for that question. Um, we have, we've learned during COVID, um, public health only works if you're safe, and if you're not safe, I'm not safe. So public health is saying public health is a, a community right. And I wanna make sure that everybody gets the best coverage they can. What we have done is we've um, expanded access via Medicaid. We got more people insured than ever before. We've expanded access to um, you know young mothers and mothers-to-be regardless of immigration status. We've uh, increased the age of eligibility for all folks, regardless of immigration status, you know, up to a certain age, and we're going to continue to uh, raise that. Well, thank you so much for that call, Louise. We're going to take a short break. Governor Nenamon is our guest in studio today, and he's here to answer your questions. We're live on the radio, online at Connecticut Public's website, Facebook page, and on YouTube. Add your questions in the comments, or if you want to give us a call, the number is 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public. I'm Catherine Shen. Today, we're catching up with Governor Ned Lamont. He's here with me in the studio to talk about his priorities and answering your questions. Let us know what you'd like the governor to talk about. And because we're also in our studio, that means the conversation isn't limited to our live radio stream. You can also watch online on Connecticut Public's website, Facebook page, or on YouTube. And give us a call with your question at 888-720-9677. That's 
888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Governor, we were talking about child care and health care coming off of the last segment, and I just want to ask you, too, we're experiencing a teacher shortage here in Connecticut, also another problem that's not new um, but has been exacerbated by the last couple of years. You know, what will you do to not only attract teachers to come here but to retain them, which I believe is actually the larger issues that a lot of school districts are experiencing? I think number one is respect. Respect your teachers. Thank your teachers every day. What a difference they make in um, the lives of your kids and the next generation of kids. I want to make sure the best and the brightest know how much we appreciate what they do. Uh, you know, secondly, what we're doing, trying to provide more support in the schools, more mental health support for those kids that need more learning loss supports um, to help those kids who need to catch up after COVID. And something that's of particular interest to me is get more young people in the classroom to help out. So that third year of teacher's college, you don't have to spend it all in the ivory tower. We'll pay you to go into the classroom, be an apprentice teacher, help out that master teacher. That's good for the kids and good for teaching. Well, I mean, speaking good for the kids and also support. So in 2021, a statewide baby bond policy was uh, introduced, and it's the first in the state. And it means that funds are set aside for children who are born into poverty. And when they turn 18, they have funds that can be used for opportunities like tuition or start their own business um, or a home. And the key is to address the wealth gap. And But that policy has not been established after being scrapped sort of last minute during the last session. You know, why the delay, Governor. Look, I'm working with the uh, legislature on that, but I don't want to wait 18 years. I want to help these young people now. You know, you mentioned tuition. I want to make sure that um, our community colleges are uh, debt free so you know you can go in there. I want to make sure that workforce is free so you can get that job now. I want to make sure you mentioned small business. We have the resources right now to help you um, start up that small business, you know, once you know your stuff. So I don't want to wait 18 years. I want to start now. But that said, we're always talking to the legislature. So I guess with the with the program itself specifically, are there things that need to be done to implement that policy before we move on so family can access that um, support? Anything specific that you want to have done before you want to move on with that program? Well, again, my priorities are to help people here and now. And uh, if I put in place good policies today, they're going to be there when you turn 18. But you're right. Maybe um, we can expand things. Maybe we can say you get a B average. Um, I'm going to guarantee you you have access to college or a workforce program so that you have can be aspired towards knowing there's an opportunity there. And your call to cut uh, state income tax has also received a lot of support. Um, who would this impact in the state, and does it do enough to support Connecticut residents? And I guess in another way of saying, will we really see a difference in our paychecks? You will. I mean, if you're a family earning, say, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, we have eliminated the income tax for you. If you're a family earning, say, $100,000, it's a 20% uh, reduction. Uh, first time that's ever happened in the state. What's the difference to you? Probably about uh, $50 a month. Um, it, it sends a direction. I know how tough it's been, especially in this inflationary environment, doing everything can to make Connecticut a little more affordable. And secondly, we have a perception thing about taxes. It just sends a signal. This is a state that's uh, getting this fiscal house in order, and that's here to benefit you. I want to take another call from Jeff, who has a question on taxes. Jeff, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, go for it. Hi. Yeah, um, I guess I'm wondering why 
we can't get some relief on property taxes. Um, as uh, property taxes hit people that are on fixed incomes or lower incomes, I think particularly hard. So I'd like to see that go hand in hand with the income tax relief. Thank you. I'll take my call up here. Yeah, no, that's a good question, Jeff. Um, we're going to make uh, income taxes going down or sales taxes about average. We've uh, allocated, um, you know, tens of millions of dollars of that to go right to municipalities. That's all ways that we can continue to help our municipalities, and that would reduce property tax for you. We've expanded the property tax credit, so it's uh, available to more people, uh, so allowing you to stay in your house. We've got to work with the mayors. They've got to do things to make their lives more um, affordable and, um, and efficient as well, all ways that you can hold down costs. Well, thanks, Jeff, for that call. And Brian on Twitter writes, when you become governor, the state was facing significant financial challenges with a large amount of unfunded liabilities. This year, you've called to slash the income tax on top of hundreds of millions in tax cuts already. Who or what do you credit with this financial 180? Uh, I think the legislature did the right thing uh, some years ago when they said um, we're not going to spend beyond our means. We're going to keep to a spending cap. Uh, I think we've held them to that, which has been good. But I, I'll tell you, more importantly, uh, more people coming to the state, young people, folks who want to start a business, uh, folks who are expanding the economic buy. There's nothing like growth. I've said a uh, hundred times and I'll say 101 I want growth and opportunity, and the two go hand in hand. If I can keep this economy growing, that's more opportunity for everybody. You know, I've got, uh, you know, 90, 100,000 jobs we're having a hard time filling right now. If I get those jobs filled, and right here in Hartford, there's a job for you. Don't say this is not a job for somebody like me. It's a job for somebody like you. I'll provide you the training. That expands the economic pie, and that allows us to um, continue to make key investments in people and reduce taxes. And we're also receiving a lot of questions on social media about early voting with the next presidential election just around the corner. Where in our state um, or where is our state at in the making of early voting accessible for every resident in Connecticut? Uh, we're going to do it. Uh, Stephanie Thomas, our freshly minted secretary of state, said let's um, start with, say, 10 days of early voting. Uh, we found out during COVID where I allowed more absentee balloting. People liked it. You know, we had more people voting um, absentee than ever before. Um, early voting is part of that process. I wanted to make it easier for people to vote and vote with integrity. Well, we're going to take another call from Stephen, who has a question on electric. Go for it, Stephen. Hi, good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm from Colchester. How are you, Governor? Hey, Stephen. Can you please tell me, specifically for seniors, my, uh, my electric bill went up. I double in the new year, and um, I got a $25 rebate to uh, to help me out with that. Kind of a a funny little slap. But is there anything going on that can you know move this the other way, especially for people that are on a fixed income? And the other question that I had for you: Is there any available for people that want to install solar on their home? Are there rebates available for Connecticut res uh, residents? specifically seniors, to put solar on top of my home. Every time I try to investigate it, I get a call from 18 salesmen. So <laughs> thank you. I'll take my call off the air. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Um, do this one at a time. One, um, 
There are significant rebates and incentives to, um, for solar. You can start with DEEP. That's their energy environment protection. They'll get you directed to the right place to go there. Um, same thing, by the way, with energy efficiency. If you live in an older house, maybe the windows leak, the furnace is old, uh, we can provide resources there that will bring down your electric and heating bills uh, uh, dramatically. You know, working with the utilities, we've got uh, significant resources for those in need who can't afford um, high electric prices. And um, we've got those resources out there. Go to Eversource. I've got ads on that right now. Operation Rescue for home heating. We still have resources there that make a difference. And if just give me 30 seconds, Kat, if you don't mind. The biggest thing is to make sure we have better, more accessible carbon-free electricity. We're at the end of the pipe, so to speak, and tankers come in the New Haven with lots of expensive natural gas that, you know, Russia's make it even more expensive. So we're doing a lot in terms of wind power. We'll control that ourselves. Hydropower, I'm trying to negotiate the Quebec hydro and nuclear power, three sources of carbon-free power that we'll control to give you some confidence we can hold down electricity prices for the future. When I was going to say, speaking of renewable energy, we're going to take another call from Peter, who has a question on uh, green renewable energy. Peter, are you there? Hi, Governor. Yes. Nice to speak with you again. Hey, Peter. I hope to look forward to you on the wheelhouse. Yes. Hi. Um, science is antiquated, ancient, obsolete, invalid, wrong, 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 and incorrect because we're way behind the times like the Model A Ford. Gravity-powered petrol motion energy. This, this is what uh, the universities don't want to talk about. It's uh, no real answers response from Yale. I contacted University of New York and uh, MIT and Connecticut made here. They do not respond to any calls and gravity powered perpetual motion energy is what I do. There's nobody else around and this law of science that says for hundreds of years people have searched for a device that keeps going forever but the principle of entropy tells us that such a device will certainly never be found. In any machine, there will be energy loss, whether it's friction sound or overcoming air resistance, etc. And here it is. I've got it. I've got more than a half a dozen inventions right now, and I'm going to blow you my... Would you come to a live demonstration to prove I've got an auto dealership that is more than excited, jumping up and down. And I said, it's not the answer... Through the existence of perpetual motion energy, um, is is uh, it, it actually? Um, uh, All right, I think I'm getting there. Um, I, I got to confess, Peter. I know um, less than zero about gravity-powered perpetual motion energy. I'm, I'm ready to learn. Um, we've got. Um, Yukon and a variety of other research facilities um, trying to find all the alternatives we can as we slowly get off of fossil fuels. So if you've got some innovations there, um, we want to pursue that going forward. You know, right now, the biggest thing in transportation, Kat, is moving from uh, gas powered to electric. And that's going to take, you know, 15 years, but we're starting right now. My job is to make sure we have electric charging stations up and down um, 95, 91, and 84, so you don't have to suffer from range anxiety. I don't want you to be anxious. And um, also what we're doing in terms of some credit still to continue to incent people to move towards all electric transportation. 
Well, thank you so much for that call, Peter. And I do want to move on and talk about uh, COVID-19 because you led the state uh, through the pandemic and we have slowly and steadily found our way back to what we now know as a as a normal. And many are, of our listeners want to hear about vaccine mandates and what guidelines around COVID that you would like to see still implemented and how residents that are still suffering from long COVID symptoms, you know, how can they still continue to be supported? Right now, when it comes to COVID, um, my advice is, look, we don't need more mandates. Um, it, it's to be smart. If you um, you feel like you got something going on, you feel like you may have some COVID-like symptoms, which can be flu-like symptoms, um, get it checked out, get a test, uh, don't go to a big public place. You know, right now, I think I look at our numbers, and thanks to the good people of Connecticut, we've done better than most other states. Uh, we followed... Um, uh, we were smart and uh, we got through COVID, I think, better. We kept more of our schools open and businesses open. Um, I, my advice to you is get a vaccine. Uh, I know you say, oh, boy, that's all in the rearview mirror. I don't have to worry about that now. That's just the type of attitude that gets us into trouble. When that vaccine is available or when your one-year anniversary comes up, I'm going to get revaccinated. I think you should, too. And. On that note, with the federal pande uh, pandemic relief ending, how is our state positioned to continue with that recovery, with what you just said, too, you know, with the support for people, for residents who are still concerned? You know, do you have anything specific that you would like to move on with? What does that look like? Yeah, during COVID, um, it was all about rescue. It was uh, unemployment checks to keep people up so they could have food. It was about free bus service. It was about supporting our small local businesses to keep people at least on the payroll. We're in a very different place now, Kat. We're trying to do everything we can. Um, it's about recovery. It's about getting our schools open. It's about summer programs. It's about um, you know, job training and internships and apprentices. Lift everybody up, get this economy growing. That's opportunity. Well, and then we're talking about health, and we spoke about healthcare a little bit earlier. Would like to talk about um, there's been a lot of strong pieces of health legislation that's been going on during this session. We have Medicaid reimbursing community health workers. We have a revision of the appropriations to speed up the autism support program waitlist and whatnot. We also have a budget surplus, but you've also initiated tax cuts. So we're wondering where will the funding come from for these proposed legislation expansions? Uh, we've got before the legislature a budget that's, uh, you know, honestly in balance. Um, and it does include continued expansion of, um, of health care for everybody. We already mentioned about raising um, the age for um, undocumented a little bit as well. It also includes uh, clinics in our schools so that uh, those kids talk about preventive care. That's the best place you can uh, be. Uh, Deirdre Gifford, who uh, runs the Office of Health Strategy, trying to do everything he can to hold down costs. You know, by the way, if, as the Medicaid begins to wind down, go to Covered Connecticut. People at a certain income level, we can provide free health insurance for people. Well, and then on that note, too, you know, tell us about your proposal that will protect patients and stop unnecessary health care costs, which is also known as House Bill 6669. The idea is to, like you're saying, manage some of the increasing health costs uh, or health care costs. Um, but you've received pushback from hospitals who claim that this would result in a lot of revenue loss. So what are what's your response to that? Well, you look at the um, Capitol building these days, it's loaded with uh, advocates and lobbyists. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're asking people to do some tough stuff that if we want to hold down costs and, um, 
and pay for transportation. Uh, but I'll pull back. I mean, I met with all the hospital leaders and the advocates, uh, you know, just yesterday. I said, look, I've come up with some really tangible ideas I think will hold down the cost of health care for you. Uh, we're going to negotiate um, pharmaceuticals with other states, bring down price, give you a drug discount card. So when you go to the pharmacy, you get the very best medicine at the least cost for you. And I've said to hospitals and I say to insurance and I say to others in the legislature, if you have a better idea, I'd love to hear it. I want to sit down with you. But if you don't have any other better ideas, let's go with what I proposed. Well, we're going to take one more call from Mark, who has a question on nursing homes. Mark, are you there? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I'm a proud retired Hartford firefighter whose mission in life is always to protect our most vulnerable, our children, students, and especially our seniors. Um, and I believe that past decisions in our lives always lead to present-day success or failures. And, Governor, I've got to ask you, uh, April 11th, we know the state of our nursing homes today, but I do want to go into past. April 11th in 2020, there was a great decision made by you to build hospi field hospital beds in Connecticut Convention Center. 646 beds were built, and according to the captain who built them, the idea was that uh, to put patients that aren't well enough to go home need to be in a safe space where they're not putting anyone else in jeopardy. Great idea, great decision. But a week later, Governor, you put some financial aid in to uh, compensate nursing homes $400 per day for taking in COVID-positive patients in, it's in your order, in non-COVID facilities. And then immediately put in an immunity order to protect those nursing homes. Now, there were only a few that didn't take you up on this carrot and chasing it and grabbing it and making a lot of money. Um, Shady, Shady Oaks, for instance, put themselves in a bubble and did not take that money. But I believe, and I believe today, that that decision was a death sentence to many of our seniors in nursing homes. Not one reporter, not one local reporter, and I believe there's some with you listening now, ever asked you to answer for this decision. Well, first of all, um, thanks to the firefighters. Uh, you showed up every day. You couldn't Zoom during uh, COVID. Uh, your analysis on the nursing homes is, um, is not right. Um, you're right. We did do the field hospitals. But more importantly, we had um, extra capacity in a lot of our nursing homes. We had some nursing homes that were closed. So we opened them up and made them COVID-only nursing homes. We did have a few nursing homes that had empty wings that had been closed. So we said maybe that's a place for folks who um, were in the hospital, had COVID, now they're testing negative, but make sure they can get out. But we were not putting COVID patients in with other nursing home patients. That's not true. Well, we're running out of time, but I still want to get one more question in is we've seen a lot of coverage of Randy Cox, who is paralyzed from the neck down due to injuries he sustained from New Haven police custody. And he's now suing the city of New Haven for $100 million. How does this incident speak to the state of policing across Connecticut? And what would you like to see municipalities do more to update their policing process? The, the Randy Cox case was tragic. I believe those... Um those cops have been fired or severely reprimanded. Um, that's not typical. We have some of the best police in the country. I've continued to try and recruit police. I've tried to recruit the most diverse uh, group of police so they reflect, you know, their communities so people know that um, 
Cops are there to protect them. They're of and by and for uh, the community. What happened in the Randy Cox case is absolutely unacceptable. Well, thank you for that. And I'll take a moment to thank all of our callers today and on social media and also to thank Governor Lamont for spending time with us today. After the break, WFSB's chief capital reporter, Susan Raff, will be joining us with her analysis. You can also join the conversation. Leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public. I'm Catherine Shen. We just heard from Governor Ned Lamont on some of his priorities for the state and for some perspective on what he had to say. Joining me now is Susan Raff. She's the chief capital reporter for WFSB-TV. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's great to be here. You've covered a lot of ground today. We did, and we were a little surprised um, just because it was so fluid, and I think we were having a good time. And you were listening this whole this whole conversation. Anything that jumped out to you? No, I think Connecticut is in a good uh, place. We haven't talked about tax cuts in I don't even know how long, many years. So it's uh, refreshing to hear that we have a surplus. And uh, I think the hardest thing, though, um, is that many people want money, right? So that's what the legislative session is all about. And do you give out all the money? Um, you know, the governor mentioned it's about $50 a, a month. That doesn't sound like a whole lot, especially during inflation uh, when everything else is going up. What is that, a tank of gas? Uh, but it is a step in the right direction, certainly. I was actually thinking the same thing. $50 can go a long way. And can you react to what he said about baby bonds? Do you think we'll see any movement on this? You know, I don't know. And I think the governor's right. I think you have to address poverty and education now. Um, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I remember my parents bought me bonds, and I think I still have them. Um, and that's a wonderful thing, but I think that community colleges, they've done a lot with that. They are free, debt-free, uh, which is wonderful. And so you had child care, and you have to provide all those incentives now uh, to help people grow. So baby bonds are a great idea, but I agree with the governor. I think right now you have to focus on the needs currently. Well, I appreciate you mentioning education and college and all of that because as my my former life, I was an education reporter, and I find myself reporting all these stories where if I replace the subject, it's still the same problem. We still need funds. We still need education. And so what do you think about his priorities for his second term? You know, we, like you mentioned earlier, we've covered a lot of ground. Are there things that he mentioned that you were surprised on or, or you would have liked him to expand more on? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Not surprised, but I think okay. education is going to be a challenge for the governor and the legislature. We have a severe shortage of teachers in Connecticut. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the pandemic. We can't uh, necessarily retain and recruit teachers. We have a huge shortage. Um, and so to do that, they're talking about raising uh, teacher salaries, I think, to 60000 which isn't bad. Uh, but if you live in Connecticut, again, uh, you know, an apartment that you're renting is $2,200 a month. or So those are some of the challenges. But I think the education piece, I mean, Connecticut has prided itself on having a good education system, right? Look what's happening in Houston and other parts of the country. So we need to focus on education and getting teachers and keeping them engaged in the classroom. 
outcomes. What are your thoughts about uh, what he said about housing and in, also in terms of attracting people to the stage? You know, it, we all move to different states for a variety of reasons, but if we can't find a house or a job, we're not going to go to that state. So anything about what he said? Housing about is tough. And, you know, many, uh, you know, rural towns or, you know, they don't want dense housing and they've been fighting that for a while. In fact, Governor Lamont is not the first governor that has, uh, you know, Governor Malloy before him uh, tried to get cities and towns or especially some of the towns in the um, outlying areas to uh, embrace uh, dense housing. Um, so he's offering some incentives to do that. Uh, but we need that. We definitely need affordable housing. I think one of the big challenges, uh, since I've lived in Connecticut for a long time, is that some of our cities are economically depressed, right? Hartford, New Britain, Waterbury, and trying to get young people into those cities. Now, Hartford has some new housing, which is terrific, uh, but it needs all the other components in order for people to want to live there. They want to be able to go outside and be able to get on a bus or a train. They want restaurants and things to do outside of their apartment. So I think Connecticut cities, some of them, have some real challenges. Well, related to that, because you've also been covering this for so long, and with housing being such a top, top priority in the legislation session, how much influence do you think the governor can have on this issue? And as we talked about during last conversation and just now that many of these decisions are left to the municipalities and sometimes they're unable to do so. Right. It's very hard to, you know, cram it down their throats and say, this is what you're, you're going to do. Uh, if you provide uh, some uh, incentives, I think that's what you can do. I don't think you can force necessarily cities and towns. The other thing, too, which I've heard from some municipalities is that even if you build dense housing, you have to have sewer and water and all of these other infrastructure things. So it's very important just to think you just can't plop up a, a big uh, complex and say, here we are. So there, it's, it's not an easy fix, but I think if you work uh, with the municipalities, you have a better shot at getting things done. Well, we've also received a lot of listeners calling in with questions about COVID vaccine mandates. Do you think we'll see looser restrictions on COVID? I mean, the governor mentioned a little bit earlier that he doesn't want to see more mandates going in, but we have to face the reality that many people are still suffering from COVID. You know, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think that's a tough thing when you do mandates, especially this time. But let's face it, I think the, you know, the uh, reality is that Connecticut did very well during uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, we were conservative. We didn't shut down things. The governor did not shut down manufacturing. Uh, some schools stayed open. Uh, you know, we are emerging out of the pandemic, but honestly, I mean, we're seeing people still getting COVID, sometimes two times, three times. Uh, and I think we're all hoping uh, that it becomes something where it's like a flu vaccine. I don't think the governor will do any mandates. I don't think that's politically uh, smart. Uh, I think people don't want to see that, especially in education, because students really lost a lot during the pandemic with remote learning. And I do want to read a comment from Mel on Twitter. She said, what I didn't hear is commitment to funding early voting. Accessibility requires a budget. What's your perspective on that? Well, she's right about that. So early voting, which the constitutional amendment passed. Uh, and so what that means now is that the legislature has the authority to decide, you know, how much early voting. Is it two days before an election, two weeks? Most states have early voting, and it's a great idea. However, Connecticut registrars, many of them, uh, are part-time. 
So to do that and have them be, you know, fully engaged two weeks, two months before an election, she's right about that, that if we want early voting, which most people do because it's one day and it gives people a little more convenience and flexibility, we have to uh, fund and have more money for those cities and towns so that they can fully do it and give people the, um, you know, the, the idea and the uh, confidence that the election is going to go the way that it should. Well, and another topic that is at the forefront of our minds is transportation and, you know, or safer roads, better traffic. And uh, Connecticut is starting to make efforts to ensure better roads and pedestrian safety. What are some major areas you think we need to see addressed in regarding Well, Connecticut is in a good place. We got a lot of federal money for infrastructure. But I think road safety is uh, a problem. Uh, And not just, uh, you know, we've seen the wrong way drivers. 80% of those drivers are impaired. This was something the governor really didn't address too much. And that is we have a huge uh, drinking and driving problem in the state of Connecticut. We are now number three in the country when it comes to DUI fatalities. That's sad, right? And so, you know, the state can do many things. They can put bells and whistles. They can put rumble strips. They can do all of these things. But it does start in your community. It does start with that conversation. How did we get here? How did, with all this education uh, that we have to drinking and driving, and yet, you know, uh, here we are today and people are driving impaired. And I think that the marijuana factor is a factor. We've got about a minute left. I want to ask, is there anything else you want to add based on the conversation we had? No, I think, you know, it's nice uh, to hear that Connecticut, um, you know, despite the the pandemic, we seem to be doing well. I'm happy that we have the financial uh, health that we do. Uh, The governor pointed out in 2017 that was a bipartisan budget to put fiscal guardrails in place so that we have the money to do things. But, you know, we all are hearing about a possible recession. So is that going to be coming down the road? Uh, I think this is a step in the right direction as far as tax cuts. Um, but, you know, let's face it, people are really hurting right now with a lot of things. And so it's it's going to be tough, uh, but it's a little bit better, certainly, than it was four years ago. <laughs> well, finger crossed for everyone, right, yes. I think, Susan? Well, thank you so much. Susan Raff is the Chief Capital Reporter for WFSB-TV. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Cat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for watching and listening today.